Hey, I'm here with Matt and Kate. What or who do you obey? That's a good question. Um, I want to say authority, but not all authority is right. So if I'm okay with it, I'll obey it, I guess. All right, we're here with Julie, and I just have one question for you. Just answer it honestly. What or who in life do you obey? God. 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 Yes, God. My wife. The wife. Okay. Anything else? I try to obey the laws. So the wife and the laws. That's a smart man right there. How about you, Judy? My God. God? Okay. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's, he's good enough. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you so much. In life, who or what do you obey? Um, I obey my dad and my mom out of respect. I mean, I'm almost 18. I'll be 18 on Saturday, but I plan to still obey them then because I live in their house still and I'm going to respect their rules and what they want me to do. Um, so that's who I, uh, or who I obey. I mean, I also obey my grandparents and really any elders of mine because they're wiser and older than me and they probably know more than I do, honestly, because I don't know that much. <laughs> okay, awesome. Anything else? Um, nope, that's it. <laughs> like police officers? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I obey police officers. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really have authority issues. I obey pretty much anybody because I'm scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I sca I'm scared of, like, getting in trouble and stuff. I'm not really a troublemaker, so... I pretty much obey police officers, teachers. What? Who or what do I obey? Yeah. Well, I'm single, so nobody. <laughs> it's just me. Okay. Yeah. Myself. Okay, yourself? Anything else? The Lord? The Lord? Is that a question? Kinda. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? No, that's pretty much it. I'm pretty much a free spirit and do what I want. <laughs> Obey? Probably nobody. Nobody. Okay. I may be guided by people, family and friends and spirituality and religion and those things, but nobody, I don't obey anybody. It comes down to what you want to do. Of course, the law. The law? Yeah. <laughs> right. Don't use drugs. Don't sell drugs. <laughs> Whatever Emperor Obama tells me. No blue. Go Big Blue! Alright, thanks guys! We're here with Kathy, and I just have one question for you. What in life, what or who do you obey? God. Okay, awesome. Anything else? No, I just love God and Jesus. My sister. <laughs> God and her sister. <laughs> well guys, as you can see, there are multiple ideas of obedience, uh, who to follow in authority. And I'm really excited about tonight. Uh, if you haven't noticed already, you're very oblivious, uh, but tonight is Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series at the movies, and I just want to recap what we've talked about. So we started out talking about how we're all on this unexpected journey as Christians, that we're supposed to be living this exciting life. And then we went on and we talked about Pirates, um, about Planet of the Apes, and how sometimes as Christians we place blame on people. We've talked about how as a church we need to band together and not throw lobs at each other and throw stones. Last week we talked about frozen and we looked at things in our life that we need to let go of. And this week our whole message is on obedience and authority. We're all in this constant struggle and fight to figure out who to obey. 
And so I hope that tonight, um, at the end of the message, we'll all be in a place where we understand authority a little bit better. But before we get started, would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to get together, Lord, in your house. And God, just thank you for allowing us to have some fun. Uh, God, this isn't meant to be this place where we just come and we're bored for 35 minutes and then we leave. Um, and we can check the box that we went to church, but rather this is a place where we can come and hang out with friends, Lord, and hear your words, your truth. Um, God, I just pray that we can all be changed by this uh, message that you have on authority. I know that so often it's so easy for us to want to become captain of our own ship. And so, God, through this message, may you humble us. May you allow us to see how big and mighty you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, the scripture that we're going to be going through is John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. And I'm going to do it a little bit differently tonight. I'm going to break it down verse by verse. So if you just want to have that pulled up, uh, you can check that. It'll also be on the screen. But like I said, we're talking all about uh, authority. And I think something that would be helpful for us is to establish a working definition of the word obedience. And so this is what our working definition for tonight is going to be. Obedience means submission to a greater power. Humbly realizing your way is not the best way. Humbly realizing your way is not the best way. Allow that to be our working definition as we go through this. See, there's all kinds of people who see obedience differently. You've got the group of people who are your rule followers. These are the people who are by the book. They always follow the law. They always do the right thing. Uh, another expression for these people are the goody-goodies. You know, everybody knows some of the goody-goodies. Uh, the goody two-shoes, the people who never ever walk outside the lines, but they kind of mind their own business. But then you get a more extreme group. These are the sticklers. Now, the sticklers are not just people who live by the law, but these are the people who are going to throw procedures and addendums and laws and everything down your throat. They live by the law, and they're going to make you live by it too. The third group of people are the people who obey when necessary. Uh, they're the people who are kind of rebel-spirited. Um, they don't really like authority. They don't really like submission. They don't really like to obey. But if it's absolutely necessary, they'll do it. And then you see the last group of people, the justifiers. The justifiers. Now, I feel like I'm in this camp a lot of times. You know, one of those people who know what's right, but still somehow manage to justify what I want and, and reason in my head why that's okay. And I listed the justifiers last because I feel like all of us tend to fall into this camp. You know, we live in this culture, in this age of enlightenment, where we all believe that we kind of can just do whatever we want without consequence. Consider a speeding ticket. How many times have you complained, even when you know you broke the law? We say things like, I know I was speeding, but I was only going five over. I know I was speeding, but I was just keeping up with traffic. I know I was speeding, but I was going to thrive. That last one is actually a re reasonable excuse. You can use that one. But if you take nothing else away from tonight, remember this very uh, theological and in-depth quote right here, okay? We all need to realize God does not like big butts, and he cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Yes, you're allowed to laugh. That's a funny joke. Come on. <laughs> The first line of a well-known hymn says this, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, 
Oh, receive my soul at last. See, the author of this hymn, Charles Wesley, envisioned our life journey as being this voyage on a ship. And this wasn't a new concept or new theory. It was actually something that uh, was believed to be true biblically. And we see in the scripture, Job, write about this similar voyage that we have. And he says this in chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. He said, Now my days are swifter than a runner. They pass by me like swift ships. You know, it's not surprising that the biblical writers use these images, living in this Mediterranean um, era, using this maritime imagery. And so whether we realize it or not, we're all on a voyage through life. All of us in the course of our life will encounter both good times and storms when the seas are temptuous and scary, when we go through trials and hard times. We have to realize that the captain, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can actually pilot our boat safely back to harbor. But only when we learn how to submit humbly and in obedience does this whole thing come together. Here's a clip from Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. And um, I want you to pay attention to this and ask yourself, have I ever found myself in a similar situation where I was arguing over who was going to pilot or captain my ship? Check it out. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, what are you doing? What are you doing? Captain gives orders on the ship. The captain of the ship has given orders. My ship makes me captain. They be my charts. That makes you chartman. Stow it! Not both of you! That's an order! Understand? Sorry. I just thought with the captain issue in doubt, I'd throw in my name for consideration. Sorry. I'll vote for you. So as you saw in that clip, we see these three different guys all fighting to be the captain of the ship. Fighting for the person who would determine the direction of the boat. There's a well-known bumper sticker, and it says this. We have a picture of it. God is my co-pilot. So my question for us tonight is, if the Lord is only your co-pilot and not your pilot, sometimes that gives us the control of the wheel. If that's you, heads up, that's not going to work out for you. We always try to take control of our own life and end up just leading ourselves down a pathway of destruction, of hurt, of chaos, and of pain. See, we have to remember who is at the helm, who is the true captain. Leonard Sweet provides some thought-provoking questions to consider. He's an author, a blogger, and he wrote this. Who is in control of your life? Who is piloting your ship? Are you at the helm or is God? Are you going your own way or going God's way? I think we need to keep these questions in our head as we continue on through the scripture. So like I said, we're going through John chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 15. So if you want to go there now, verse 15 says this. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now let me give you some context of what's going on right now in scripture. Just five verses previously in John chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus has done this incredible miracle where he's fed thousands and thousands of people. And so what's happening is these people are seeing this Messiah figure, this figure who was prophesied in the Old Testament 
Uh, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says this. Seeing this miraculous sign, the people recalled Moses' prediction that a prophet like him would arise. See, they were going back to the prophecy that was in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. And people saw that Moses had fed the people. They saw that Moses had led them out of bondage and slavery. And they see here that Jesus, well, Jesus fed the people. And so they knew that Jesus could lead them out of the Roman bondage that they were under. But they missed the point. The people saw Jesus' sign, but they couldn't perceive the meaning behind it. They wanted to capture Jesus and make him their king, this mighty prophesied Messiah. But you see, I think we have to look at this and ask this question. Could Jesus have got his kingdom? Have Jesus gained the kingdom without the cross? Could Jesus have gained the kingdom without the cross? And the answer to that question, guys, is no. Jesus knew that he couldn't become the earthly king that the people desired because God has appointed him to be the heavenly king. You see, so often we do that in our life. We think we know what's best. And we ask for it and we beg for it and we pray for it and then sometimes we just do it. We just do it. If that would have happened in this instance, if Jesus would have allowed them to make him their earthly king, we wouldn't have the cross. We wouldn't have grace, and you and I would spend eternity separated from the Father. See, the, the importance of having a captain who knows all is so great. It's so, so great. You see, Jesus didn't allow them to take him and make him their earthly king because he knew that God would establish him as a heavenly king. He took off and he retreated to a mountain to be alone. See, the event of feeding the 5,000 and dealing with the emotional pressures of wanting to be this earthly king and the temptation of that was wearing on Jesus and he needed to go rest and be restored. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus, while he was fully God, he was also fully man. And you know, I think about this, I think, how could he resist this temptation? You know, all these people wanting to lift him up as this mighty king. And then I start thinking that these situations are for us every single day of our life. You guys all have a coin that was handed to you, a gold coin. And I want you to hold on to that throughout this week. Let it be a reminder that when Jesus was offered up this power, this kingship, this glamorous thing, he turned it down because he knew what God had for him. You see, so often we get distracted in life. We allow things to be winds that, that change the direction of our ship. We chase after money, a name, things that look important and valuable and good that just decay at the end of the day. But Jesus knew that if he stayed on track, that if he stayed the course, that if he fleed away from the things that were tempting him, that God's will would be done in his life. And I think we have a lesson there to be learned. I think there's a lesson there for all of us. He realized it was more important, and this is good, please catch this, it was more important to spend time with the Lord in that moment than to serve the Lord. He realized it was more important to spend time with the Lord than to serve the Lord at that point. See, Jesus realized that a person can't be in any shape to serve without seeking him first in prayer, seeking his direction first. See, if God doesn't come first in our life, then our own plans will, and they're sure to fail. Jesus set an example that every believer should follow when seeking God and and wanting to serve the Lord. Sometimes, guys, we just have to slow down and spend time in prayer. 
Spend time clinging to the scriptures to understand the direction and the call that God has for our life. Continuing on in verses 16, 17, and 18, it says this. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So again, I want to kind of explain what's going on here. Basically what's happening is Jesus' disciples got very impatient. Jesus wasn't there yet, and they thought that there might be a storm coming, and so what they did was they just left him behind. And when I read this, it just kind of blew my mind. How could the disciples just leave Jesus? How could they not wait for him? And then again, I remembered in my own life how many times the storms of life have hit me in the face. How many times my circumstances or the things that were hard or, or all these things that just seemed like they were weighing on me have forced me to just run away. And what happens when you run away from those circumstances and you run away from those things instead of allowing Jesus to walk with you is you go right into the face of the storm. You see, when the disciples left Jesus, they sailed their ship into turmoil. And sometimes we just need to let Jesus come to us. We need to wait on his timetable and not our own. And not our own. See, they should have learned from Jesus' example and gotten down on their knees in prayer. But they thought they knew better than he did. You know, like the 5,000 that we talked about previously in the scripture where he fed the 5,000, they too had a misconception that this coming Messiah was going to be a great king. And so I can imagine that the disciples probably were disappointed and upset that Jesus wouldn't allow this coronation ceremony. I, I believe that even they were able to justify that Jesus probably really wasn't the Messiah. And there's a lot of times I know that in our life, because of our circumstances, because of the way things look, when they sometimes don't look like what you think they're going to, we can justify that maybe Jesus really isn't God. Maybe God really isn't as big as I think he is. You see, there's a problem with that. If you can reason away Jesus' lordship, it's a short step to assuming the authority yourself. Basically what that means is it's a short step away from doing whatever you want whatever you want. See, once the disciples experienced disillusionment, they believed they knew just as much as Jesus, and so they left without him. They took the control away from Jesus, and in essence, they tried to assume the position of deity. Captain James Cook was an English explorer and navigator from A.D. 1728 all the way till 1779. He's the man credited with discovering Hawaii. Thank you, Captain Cook. When he first landed on those Pacific islands, the natives thought that he was a god. And so they gave him this divine um, power. They treated him like a god. And he did nothing to discourage their perception of him. He completely embraced the role as being this godlike figure. It all worked really well for Cook until he had to leave the islands. And when he left the islands, a storm brewed up and he had to come back. When he came back, the people living there realized that no God would be stopped by a storm, and so they put him to death. They put him to death. See, when we assume the role of God in our own life, when we try to become our own Lord and and seek the direction, ultimately, our destiny ends in death like Captain Cook. You see, if we try to do anything without having Jesus in the boat with us, then we're trying to assume this position of deity, and we're trying to play captain. We might think that our way is best, but 
Our own way leads to death and destruction. In fact, that's a biblical concept. If you have your phones out, type this in. This is a great scripture for you to have in your head. It's Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says this. There is a way that seems right to man. It seems right to man. We can justify it in our head as man. We can reason in our head why it's right as man. But listen to what this says. But it ends, but its end is the way of death. It's the way of death. Now, guys, it's easy for us to come in here and have a good time and talk about God's grace and God's love and his mercy and, and all this stuff that's so pretty and good and clean. But the reality is God is a bigger God than that. God is a multifaceted God who believes in grace but also believes in judgment, who believes in mercy but believes in justice, who believes in restoration but also believes in refinement. And so there's going to come a time where we have to stand before God. And each and every one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. And if we've been people who have lived our lives steering our own ship, separating ourselves from the true captain, God, steering ourselves away further and further and further, there's going to come a time and place where we have to face our fate. And there are some fates that are worse than death. Check out this clip. No one said anything about coal. I'm sure there must be a good reason for our suffering. Why don't that Obey woman just bring Jack back the same way she brought back Barbosa? Because Barbosa was only dead. Jack Sparrow is taken, body and soul, to a place not of death, but punishment. The worst fear a person can bring upon himself. Stretching on forever. That's what awaits at David Jones' locker. Well, I knew there was a good reason. You see, that some things are worse than death, and an eternity separated from God and hell is a real thing if we don't allow Jesus to become captain of our life. See, when Jesus is not in your boat, then life can become really treacherous with a lot of storms and a lot of ways and places and circumstances that we don't know how to handle. Now, don't hear me standing up here saying that if you're a Christian and Jesus is leading your life, that your life is going to be peachy keen and good without storms, without trials, without any of that. In fact, let me tell you right now that once you become a Christian and truly buy into what God wants to do through you, be prepared because Satan will attack you and he will come at you. But the difference is when Jesus is on your ship, when Jesus is your friend, when he's with you every single day through this whole life thing, you're walking with a man who has the power to calm those storms. Who has the power to calm those storms. If you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter 14. Read the whole passage of scripture. But to give you the gist, basically what happens is he's on this boat. And this huge storm comes about. And the people on the ship start to doubt and wonder. And, and Jesus, he wakes up and nonchalantly walks to the helm of the ship and raises his hand. Scripture says that the sea was as flat as glass. 
That's the God that we serve as Christians. That's the authority that we're submitting under. That's the kind of power that he holds. And it's something that we should be very willing to do because in in essence, we are so small in view of how big God is. I want to continue on in verse 19. It says this. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. See, when we try to take control of the boat, Jesus will allow you to flounder sometimes. He will allow you to experience the storm for a little while. We read that the disciples had rowed for about three or four miles before Jesus ever came out to them. Three or four miles. Now that's a long time to row in a raging sea. That's a long time to keep fighting the waves, straining every muscle to your bone, wondering if that next wave would be the one that would capsize your ship and flip it over. See, a lot of us are in circumstances right now where life seems to be raging around us and we feel like God's not listening, that he's not there. But scripturally, we see that he's on his way. He's on his way. But sometimes we have to go through these seasons of suffering, these storms of life, to realize the only person who has the power to calm those seas, to calm those situations and those storms in your life, is Jesus. It's Jesus. Watchman Nee wrote this um, story about a Chinese man who was drowning. Several men were watching their countrymen struggle in the water, but none of them knew how to swim. They were hollering out into the crowd, please, can somebody help him? And finally, a man ran up to the shoreline and said, I can save him, I know how to swim. All the guys around him were confused because he wasn't jumping into the water. And this Chinese man was flailing, floundering in the water. People started to get frustrated and mad, but the man stood unaffected until the drowning man seemed to exhaust himself of all of his energy. He then dove into the water and pulled the man to safety. The other men demanded an explanation for his seeming reluctance to show compassion on a drowning man. He simply told them he was unable to save the man as long as he was still trying to save himself. When his efforts to save himself were expended, then it became possible for him to supply a safe rescue. Guys, in in similar fashion, our endeavors, our our task at trying to save ourselves will leave us flailing in an ocean of sin. Will leave us flailing in an ocean of sin. Until we give up on the idea that we can actually save ourselves, we will never be saved. We have to acknowledge that our own inability to bring about salvation and embrace the salvation that only Jesus Christ can offer up and give to us. See, when Jesus came to the disciples on the water, he said, it is I, do not be afraid. And when he said, it is I, the Greek construction of this phrase is ego am I. Ego am I. If you want to sound really smart, remember that. It's ego am I. And that literally translates to I am. I am. See, guys, Jesus is the great I am, or Jehovah God. Since Jesus is Lord, he has power over all of creation and can still the raging storms if he chooses. I want to read Psalms 107, verses 23 through 30, because it talks about the power over both storm and sea. Would you read this with me? 
Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the sea so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. The name for Lord in this psalm is Jehovah or Yahweh, which is in the first person translated to I am that I am. We see that in, um, in Exodus when God comes to Moses in the burning bush and Moses says, who, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, I am that I am. And when we think about this concept that God is that he is, he, he was there in the beginning, he's there in the end, there's no words that are eloquent enough to define how big and great and good our God is. And so simply he just says, I am God. I am God. And maybe for us tonight, the reason that we have this issue with submission, with um, not allowing God to actually speak truth to our life, maybe the reason that we have this problem with actually doing what the Word tells us to do and just doing our own thing, maybe the reason we have this issue with apathy in our hearts, not caring what's actually true or right, and claiming we're Christians and changing our Facebook statuses to Bible verses, but not living it out, is because we forget how big God really is. We forget that God is God. I want to continue on in verse 21 and end here. It says this, Then they willingly received him into their boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. See, if you wish to arrive safely at God's intended destination for your life, then you have to receive the captain onto your ship. You have to remember that mutiny will only end in mortality. Mutiny will only end in mortality. Mortality, that word means death. If you refuse to listen to the captain, you'll miss out on his great wisdom that he has. God's been doing this a whole lot longer than you and me. And he wants to speak truth into your life so that this life here on earth is abundant. And so that we get to this place where God wants us to be at the end of time. Eternity with him. See, it's vital that we learn to accept the authority of the real captain and stop trying to play captain ourselves. I want to read this story from a magazine of a naval institute, and it's called Proceedings. It's by a man named Stephen Covey, and it says this. While on maneuvers, a battleship looked out and noted a light in the dark. After noting the light's coordinates, the captain recognized that his ship was on a collision course with the other vessel. The captain instructed his crew, signal the ship, we're on a collision course, advise you to change course 20 degrees. The return signal countered, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain signaled again, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The response was, I'm a seaman, second class, you'd better change course 20 degrees. See, what we're seeing here in this story is, Two people, two captains fighting for this authority, fighting for this right of passage, so to speak. And by this time, the captain is furious, and his signal officer ordered, I'm a battleship. 
Change course 20 degrees. The reply came back, I'm a lighthouse, you make the call. I'm a lighthouse, you make the call. And guys, maybe for us tonight in this place, for the first time, we're again, we can remember that God is mighty. God is big. God is a battleship. And we're nothing more than a lighthouse. And may we submit under his authority humbly and say, we're nothing more than a lighthouse for you, God. You make the call. You make the call. See, we have to stop pretending to be the captain and trying to take control of our boat. We need to yield to a greater authority if we actually wish for our life to go smoothly and not crash and sink. We read that the disciples received Jesus, or the captain, into their boat, and immediately they arrived to the shore where they were going. You know, it seems sometimes as believers that we don't actually believe that God will provide when he says he will. We don't actually believe that he'll take care of us. You know, sometimes when Jesus is at rest and we don't see him working in our life for what we want and what we desire, it's easy for us to become anxious, to start to question who he is. When God doesn't work on our timetable, it's easy for us to start wanting to take control of our own boat. But you see, there's a problem here. When we fight for this control, when we forget who God is and we take control of our ship, we go places that God had never, ever intended us to go. They're places of pain, places of brokenness, places of hurt. And God wants to save us from all of those things. That's why he's given us his word and his authority. Because he knows better. I want to close with this final thought as the band comes back to stage. Throughout this message, we've been asking ourselves, who's piloting our ship? Am I at the head or is God? In 1871, Edward Hopper wrote a hymn. And it revealed who was in charge of his life. From this hymn, I think we find some words that we can all take away. And and maybe these words can even be what we say, leaving this place. These are the words. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's temptuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel as though you've been separated from the Lord and you can't hear him guiding you anymore? If so, then maybe you kicked Jesus off your boat and made him walk the plank a long time ago. Maybe tonight you need to invite him back on your boat to assume the position of captain to direct the trajectory of your life. Maybe for you, you're in this place and you don't understand this whole idea of authority, of submission, of something being bigger than yourself because you've been doing this life thing just on your own and you've been met by storm after storm after storm that you just don't know how to handle. Would you realize that there's a God who loves you so much, who knows what's best for you, who created life and death and everything in between, He's given us his word and his spirit to guide us through this life that's hard. 
Would you invite this Jesus guy to captain your ship tonight? Would you say, Lord, I need somebody bigger than me to tell me and help me through this stuff because I'm just not cutting it on my own. Whatever it is, if it's the first time you're submitting to this captain or you're letting him back on your ship, would you just act humbly tonight? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for giving us this chance to to look at this concept of obedience. And God, it's easy for us to feel like you just tell us what to do because you want us to remember that you're God or that you have this narcissism problem. But the reality is you tell us these things and you ask us to submit to your authority because you just know better. Because you're just bigger, God. And so, Lord, would you allow us to humbly submit to your authority tonight? God, I know that for me, I so often lose my patience with you. And I get anxious, and then I just start steering my ship into all kinds of dark waters. So, Lord, I just pray that you would become more of the light of my life. God, right now, in front of these people, I'm letting go. I'm giving you control. God, would you take it for all of us tonight? God, thank you for being a God who is good and bigger than any of the storms of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're entering into this time of invitation, and you guys can respond. We've got the altar. It's open. If you want to get real with God and just pray to him and say, you know what? I'm done doing this thing on my own. I'm done fighting you. I'm done yelling across the ship claiming that I'm captain of my life when I am yours. The altar's open. I'm here to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, there's communion at each table to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. Whatever it is, would you just stand up and sing and respond how God's leading you tonight?